First Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17, okay? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Father, we thank you for your word, God. It is sweet to us, Lord, because we, we know, God, we can depend upon it. Uh, we know that it, it speaks to us what is right and what is good, what is good for us, what is good for eternity. Uh, Father, help us to submit ourselves to your word uh, day by day. Father, speak it. Give us understanding. Enlighten our hearts and minds today by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first thing we need to do in this passage is define who is it speaking to. Many of the passages in the Bible are to everybody. You know, it's just a generic, this is true, uh, here it is. Uh, This one actually has a specific person in mind, a specific group of people in mind. It says in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age. Now remember last week we were, we were looking at, at the topic of money, but it was in chapter 6 verses uh, 6 through 10 talking about the love of money. And so kind of the target audience there are those who want more money, those who love money. And just, just talking about how to be careful there, how to, how to cultivate contentment in our lives. But today Paul switches to a different group of people and says, okay, this, this as far as those who are rich in this present age. Now the reason we need to define that is so that most of us don't try to squirm out from that, okay? Uh, when we hear the word rich, uh, because it's a gray word, you know, there's no, you know, there's no defining characteristic about, you know, how much is rich, how much is poor, you know, where's the line between rich and poor, where's that in any society? Nobody really knows that. And so what would tend to happen in a passage like this is that when you hear, as for the rich in this present age, you would look around the room and you would try to find somebody who you think makes more money than you, and then you'd be like, Aha, uh-huh. that's for them, you know. I hope they're listening. Lord, let me just have a little prayer time here. Lord, I just pray for so-and-so, Lord. Help them to hear your word. Uh, that's what we would tend to do. And so we need to, to go ahead and try to define who is Paul talking about. Well, I think if Paul were alive today, he would say, it's all of you, okay? Uh, I believe he would say that because compared to the rich of Paul's day, we're all rich, okay? Think about what it meant to be rich in, in Ephesus, the, the town to which Paul is writing uh, to Timothy. Uh, probably what it meant to be rich in that day and age was that you could eat meat every day. I mean, that, that would have been, been a sign of wealth is that you could have a hamburger every day. That, that would have been incredible for most people in, in that, that day and age. It probably meant something like you had a house big enough where you didn't have to sleep with your cow, you know, or your, your ox or your chickens. Uh, you know, it meant that you had actually a separate room for them. You know, that, that would have been a sign of wealth to have a house that large. Uh, probably meant things like you could, you could travel from place to place. You, you had left your hometown said sometime in your life. You know, things like that would have probably been signs of wealth in that day. And so according to that standard, I'm guessing that most all of us in this room would qualify. Okay. Uh, you say, well, pastor, it's really hard to judge then to now. Let's just talk about today. Okay, let's talk about today. Who are the rich today? Uh, well, if you just take as a nation, I, I went ahead and uh, went on Wikipedia last night. Uh, it's a cool thing. You can type in any nation, and it'll give you the vital statistics of that nation. So I typed in some, some nations in Africa. One of the nations in Africa that is really growing uh, exponentially as far as their economics is Nigeria. They're really doing great. 
they're, 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 they're one of the top economies as far as growth in the world, doing great. Their GDP per capita, which is like gross uh, domestic product per capita, is like um, $1,800, I think, per person. Okay, the United States is forty-eight thousand something per person. Okay, if that gives you a little, so you take one of the the the, the fastest-growing economies in Africa, and we are just way, 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 way ahead. Okay, now you take some of the countries that are not doing so well. You know, they're like nine hundred dollars to our forty-eight thousand. So, so as a whole, as a people group, America is rich. Okay. Now, some of you are still not convinced. You're saying, well, but hold on, Pastor. I just, you know, I I don't think I am, and I don't think he's talking to me. Um, The only scriptural line I could define for you, you know, the only place in Scripture that I could point to and say, okay, here's sort of a line of what it means to be rich, what what the Bible's talking about when it talks about riches. Maybe, and I don't even know if we could do this, but maybe 1 Timothy 6, the passage we were at last week, if you'll notice when Paul talks about contentment, when he talks about the desire to be rich, one of the things he says there in verse 8 is if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Remember that? Remember that last week we talked about contentment? We talked about having the basic necessities of life being met. Anything above that? I I think the Bible would say that's what it's beginning to talk about when it talks about riches, okay? So if you have your basic necessities met and you still have more money, so you can you can provide clothing and a home and food to survive, and then anything above that would be called, we call it a lot of times discretionary income. You ever heard that before? Discretionary spending? Okay, that's like if you have money to spend on uh, buying some nice clothes, uh, going out to eat, uh, something new, something for your birthday. Uh, if you have money to spend on cable, you know, if you got, if you got cable TV, uh, if you have any kind of TV, right, actually, probably, if you have a smartphone, if you have any kind of phone, if you have Wi-Fi in your home, all those things would be discretionary income. And so those would be a sign that that's above your basic necessities of life, that would be what the Bible would call rich. Okay, now as I look at any of those categories, compared to Paul's day, compared to our world, uh, compared to, to maybe, maybe a principle we see in Scripture, here's what I, I think. I think probably for most everybody, I can't say everybody, but most everybody in this room, we're who Paul's talking about, aren't we? I mean, I think, I think he's talking about us, okay? And so, so when, when we hear this, as for the rich in this present age, we need to say, okay, that's us. Now, notice what he says, he, he tacks on, in this present age. Now, I, I want to talk about that because I see something in Paul that, that I look at myself and say, I need to work on that. Okay? And, and what I see in Paul is Paul always connects now to what is to come. Okay? You, you see, I've, I've not wanted to be those, the kind of preacher that all he ever talks about is heaven, glory, hell. You know, I, I've wanted to be the kind of preacher who talks about everyday stuff. I mean, that's one of the things I've tried to build my ministry around is, okay, what does the Bible say for us today? How do I live out my faith today? How do, how do you parent your kids for the glory of God today? How do you live out your marriage today? Okay, and, and so I've tried to do that, but one pushback to that is that what I see in Paul is he always applies today to what is to come, okay? And so when Paul talks about this present age, he is referring to what we might call the age of the church, okay? I, I, I really, there's other guys that would do more than this, but I really see kind of three ages, okay, in the history of redemption. You have your, your pre-Jesus, okay? Now, Jesus is eternal, actually, so there is no pre-Jesus. 
You're pre-Jesus coming to earth. How about that, okay? Pre-Bethlehem, pre-incarnation, okay? Which would be the Old Testament. And so you have this whole age where people are looking to the Messiah. They're, they're saying, okay, the Messiah is gonna come. We're praying for the Messiah. God's gonna send a savior. God's gonna send a king, okay? And then Jesus comes, okay? And then you have what we might call the church age. That's what we're in right now. That is when Paul says, as for those rich in this present age, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about now. You know, the age of the church, the age where we're looking back to the cross and we're embracing what Jesus did for us and we're living right now, living out as born-again believers, as followers of Christ. We're in this present age. There's coming a day when Jesus is coming back, okay? He's gonna come back and, and, and this earth's gonna be destroyed and, and there's gonna be a new heavens and a new earth that's gonna be created and, and all the saints of God are gonna be ushered up into the presence of God to live in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever in fullness of joy and pleasures forever and all those who do not follow Jesus Christ who were not born again will be cast into a place of torment and, and, and the wrath of God will be placed upon them forever and ever. And so that is the age to come. Now Paul talks a lot about that and he, and he weaves it into how he lives today. If you remember back in 1 Timothy chapter four when we were looking at godliness and training in verse eight, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value. Remember this? In every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. You see, Paul does that all the time. He's always connecting this time, what he's doing right now, how he's living right now with the age to come, what is to come in Jesus Christ. Now, in order for us to do that, in order for us to think that way, okay? What I see in Paul is he's always thinking that way. He's always thinking about how, how, how now is gonna affect the future and the age to come when Jesus Christ comes back and the new heavens and the new earth. In order to do that, we have to do that by faith. You know why? Because we can't see, touch, smell, taste, or handle the age to come. You know, it's not something we can, we can view with our senses. And so we have to see it by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you hear that? It's the conviction of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And so faith is what enables us to grab onto what is to come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, Paul does that. Uh, this is just an example. He says, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see what he just did? He said, all right, the, the, the junk I'm dealing with now for Jesus is preparing for me a weight of glory to come. Okay, and then, then he goes on in verse 18 and says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Amen. See that? And so, so in, order to, in order to think that way, we have to saturate our minds with the age that is to come. That's a hard thing. Don't you wish we got deposit slips? Wouldn't that be kind of a cool thing? You know, when you go to a bank, you get a deposit slip. Now, what, what, a deposit slip is really not worth anything. You know, I mean, it's not like you can take that to Dollar Tree and say, you know, I'd like a candy bar. You know, I mean, it's not worth anything. All it does is it tells you that your, your, your investment has been placed somewhere, right? You go to the bank, you put your money in, and then they give you a slip back that says, you know, your, your investment has been, is securely here, okay? Wouldn't it be cool if we got deposit slips? You know, if, if you're living for Jesus Christ and you're, you're serving him and you're living for his glory, wouldn't it be great to get a deposit slip in the mail and say, yeah, you know, God says, hey, I recognize what you've done. I recognize who you are. I recognize you're living by faith. And, and, and what, you, what you have deposited in eternity, it's here. It's, you, know, it, it's, you know, we have that by faith, but we don't get it in the mail, do we? But, but, but we got to grab onto it by faith. Paul would do that. Paul would always connect this life to the life to come. Now, Who's he talking about? He's talking to the rich in this present age. What does he tell them? Okay, three things this morning. Two warnings and one opportunity. Okay, so to us today, there's two warnings and one opportunity. So what, what are the two warnings that he gives about having 
discretionary income? Well, he says, first of all, don't let it make you prideful. Okay, look in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Haughty is another word for prideful. Now, now why, why would he say this to the rich? Well, he would say that because with having a lot always comes the tendency to think of yourself as being above somebody else. Um, it's just true. You know, maybe you're super spiritual Superman, you know, and you're like, oh, I've never done that. I don't know. I, I, I kind of would doubt that. Uh, just because it is just human nature when we have to, to, to compare ourselves to others. That happens all the time. Sometimes better, sometimes less, you know. I, I mean, probably just as common is for you to, you, to, you to be somewhere and feel like, you know, you don't belong or feel like you're less than or feel a little down about yourself because you don't have what somebody else has or you don't drive what somebody else drives or you don't live where somebody else lives. And, and the Bible says we gotta be really careful about that. James chapter two says be especially careful of that in the church. James 2.2 2 says, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, that's pretty much every guy in here, isn't it? Uh, see how culturally this is? I mean, that, if you had a gold ring in Paul's day, wow, you were, you were wealthy, okay? If you got one today, it means you're married. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of, you know, it may mean you're not wealthy, actually. I mean, no, I don't know. That's uncalled for. Okay. If a man's wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in a good place. You say to the other guy, eh, you stand over there, sitting on my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, the Bible says it's really, it's really dangerous to be prideful because of possessions, okay? It's dangerous for a couple of reasons. Number one, it assumes that wealth is what makes a person useful or successful or valuable. You know, that, that's not true at all, is it? You know, if you open up any of those magazines at, at the grocery store, please don't do this, by the way. But if you did, you would see a lot of wealthy people who are absolutely useless in the kingdom. Okay, They've, they've done nothing of spiritual value. They've done nothing uh, good with what God has given them, with the success and the value, uh, the wealth that God's given them. On the other hand, I can point to you lots of, of very, very poor people who have done great things for the kingdom of God. Let me name a couple of, you, of them for you. Jesus, have you ever heard of him? You know, Jesus of Nazareth, he was poor, did great things for the kingdom of God. Uh, the apostle Paul, John the Baptist, here's a guy that ate bugs for breakfast, lunch, and supper. That is poverty, my friends. And he did great things for the kingdom of God, most of the apostles. And so we gotta be careful about how we judge worth. You know, I think what the Bible would say is that we ought to judge worth based on, first of all, that a person is, is made in the image of God. Isn't that a great thing to see somebody and to treat them with honor, not because they have a certain amount or they have a position or they have power, but to treat them with honor because they're created in the image of God, because God loves them, because Christ died for them. And all of that, but begin, to begin to judge success in different ways. You know, hey, here's some other ways that we could judge success. A person is... is useful or successful in the kingdom if maybe they have good friendship, people skills, okay? I'm talking about a person who loves other people well, who's, who's patient with other people, who is generous with other people, who is kind to other people, who is forgiving with other people. I mean, that, that's a person who's valuable and useful in the kingdom. How about a person who's skilled at leading others or maybe a person with a dynamic intercessory prayer life? I mean, I want that person in my church, okay? The person who, who goes home and spends much time interceding before the Father in prayer for, for the people of God, that is a valuable person in the kingdom of God. How, how about a person who has a servant heart or a person with wisdom, okay? Now, 
Those people, those same people that I just described, they might have money or they may not have money. In fact, a lot of times they will have money because if, if you're a real people person, if you're, if you're skilled with people, if you're skilled with wisdom, that oftentimes translates into being successful in other areas of life as well. So it, again, I'm not saying it does or it doesn't. I'm just saying we ought to measure it rightly, okay? Thirdly, being prideful because you have certain things implies that you got them on your own. Is that right? Sort of, sort of not. Okay, let me say that again. Sort of and then not, okay? Now, we, we can say, okay, you know, you might be able to say, you know what, I, I've worked hard for what I have. I have uh, I've been wise with investing. I have uh, been many late nights and sacrificed time with my kids and family to build what I have today. That could be true, but let me, let me ask you this. If you take you with the same gifts and talents and the same energy and effort that you put in, and instead of being born in America, you were born in the slums of India, would you be where you are today? And the answer to that question is probably not. Okay? What if, what if you did not have the mind that God gave you? What if you didn't have the, the abilities that God gave you? What if you didn't have the, uh, the upbringing? What if you didn't have the parents that God provided for you? You see what I'm saying? I mean, no matter how you slice it, it all comes back to the grace of God, does it not? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what have you been given that you've, or what do you have, I'm sorry, what do you have that you've not been given? And the answer to that is nothing, okay? Whatever you have, God has graciously granted to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, listen to this. Deuteronomy 8.18 8, says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. You, 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 know, you know why I have what I have? I have what I have because God's been gracious to me. You, you, know, you know why I pastor this church? Because God's been gracious. It, it wasn't your votes, you know, 14 years ago. It was that God has been gracious. God, God, God has enabled me and empowered me and put me here just because of his grace and just for his glory, okay? So whatever we have, we have because of God. Now, the fourth and final thing that, that's really dangerous about pride, I think this is the big thing, is it tends to lessen our dependence upon God, okay? Now, money can or cannot, just depends, but there's a possibility that it can lead to pride, okay? But so can a lot of other things. But here's the thing about pride. It will almost certainly lessen your dependence upon God. It'll make you feel like there's nothing urgent, nothing pressing, nothing that I need to fall down on my knees to the Lord about. That's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous thing to, to have an, a, 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 an un, un, unnecessary confidence in your life. Let me give you an example of this. Matthew 26, there's a guy named Peter. You ever heard of Peter? Peter's one of the apostles. And the night before Jesus' crucifixion, here's what happens. Jesus comes to the, the, to the disciples and he says this. He says, uh, verse 31, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So he tells them, you're all gonna fall away. Okay, here's what Peter says in verse 33. Peter answers him, though they all will fall away because of you. You know what he's saying there? Oh, Thomas, yeah, he probably will, yeah, yeah. Matthew, yeah, stinking tax collector, he'll fall away, yeah. James, I love him, but, you know, he's just not very strong, you know. Bartholomew, with a name like that, the guy won't last, you know. I mean, he, he just kind of goes through all 11. He says, yeah, they'll probably all fall away. Me, no, listen to what he says here, though. Me, I'll never fall away. Jesus, you can count on me. Jesus, I am rock solid. I'm Peter, you gave me that nickname. It means rock. 
And Jesus, you can count on me. There is nothing that's going to make me fall. Now, you know what pride tends to do? Tends to make us complacent in spiritual things. And so in the next passage, uh, the next verse, okay, what happens? Jesus goes to Gethsemane. He takes him to Gethsemane. And he tells him, go over there, watch and pray. He tells him that. Verse 36, I'm going to go pray. You pray. We're going to pray. We need to pray. What do they do? Sleep. Verse 40, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Notice this, and he said to Peter, right there in the scriptures, verse 40, Matthew 26, 40, he said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but flesh is weak. You know what we see there? We see a guy who, for whatever reason, was prideful. For whatever reason, he had this feeling in him that said, you know what, I'm good. Man, I'm good. We're solid. Nothing's going to happen. And so he didn't pray. And because he didn't pray, he wasn't ready, and he fell. Okay, now, now here's, what, here's what the Bible's telling us here, is that those of us who are rich in this present age, we got to be real careful that we don't lose our dependence on God. Here's a good question, okay? When you're short on money, okay, when, when you got bills on the table that you can't pay, do you pray more? Nobody's going to answer. Do you pray more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so based on that, that statement, let's, let's logically go backwards. When you are doing well financially, do you pray less? Come on, you said you prayed more when you, yeah, you do, don't you? Okay, when you pray, when you're doing well financially, you pray less. There's where the danger comes in, right? You see, that, that, that's where things get in trouble is if when we're doing well financially, if that causes us to have this feeling that, you know, there, there's nothing urgent that we need to come to the Lord about, that we got all these problems, whatever problems we have, we can, we can solve through money, we can buy our way out of it. That's a really dangerous place to be, okay? Now, am I saying that you shouldn't pray in a financial crisis? Absolutely not, I'm not saying that. You should pray in a financial crisis. But here's what Jesus taught us. Remember when he's teaching his disciples to pray? How does he do it? He says, here's how you ought to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily, daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? That means every day, every day I need to be down on my knees saying, God, I don't know what today's going to bring. Lord, I, 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 don't know what, I don't know what issues I'm going to face. I don't know what my kids are going to face. I don't know what my wife's going to face. I don't know what we're going to face. But Lord, we need you today. We need you to provide. God, we need you to provide for us what we need this day. Our daily bread. God, our provision for today. So here's a question to ask yourself. If your prayer life has been doing this, why? It doesn't have to be pride. It could be something else. It could be you falling into a sin. You know, and you won't repent of it. And so you, you're, you're pulling away from God. Could be some kind of struggle has rocked your life and you, you're, you're mad at God or you, you've not trust, you're just not trusting him. You know what it could be though? It could be pride. It could be that things are going well in your life right now. You got things kind of under control, so you think. And so you've, you've lessened your dependence on God. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. You know, what, you know what I don't know about my life? I, here's what I know about my life. I'm this close to falling apart all the time. <laughs> okay? I, it, I am. You are. You know, I want to realize, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. But I know I need Jesus every day. Second danger. 
misplaced hope. Okay, so the first one's pride. Second one is misplaced hope. Notice what it says in verse 17. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Okay, now what is hope? Hope is the confident expectation of good things to come. Okay, so hope is that feeling. I, I love hope. You like hope? I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of hope, okay? Uh, I, I love it. And hope says, hope says, good things are coming. Man, good things are coming for my family. Good things are coming for me. Good things are coming for my life. Man, there's, there's this anticipation about the future. That's what hope is, okay? Now, now, when there's not that, some of you have experienced this. Maybe you're there right now. It's called hopelessness. You know what hopelessness is? Hopelessness is when you look at your life and you say, man, I don't see anything good ahead. I almost don't want to live because I don't think things are going to get better. They're not good now. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how they could get better. I don't think they're going to. That's hopelessness. That's bad. And no, no born-again believer should ever stay there. You know why? Because you're connected to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God lives within you, and you have every reason to hope, okay? But where do you get your hope? Okay? You see, one of the dangers of having, like we as Americans do, is that we begin to put our hope, we begin to say, things are okay when my bank account's good and when I have money and savings and when I've got good investments and then there's a danger that I'll put my hope there. Okay? Now, now maybe not. Okay? I, there, there's lots of wealthy people who have that, but they're, they're wise enough to say, that's not where my hope is. Man, I, I, know, I know that can go away tomorrow. My hope's over here in Christ. Okay? But, but, you see, with riches, there's a danger to misplace your hope, to put it in something that, notice what the Bible says about riches, they're uncertain. Why are riches uncertain tomorrow? You know why, Americans? Because we may not be rich tomorrow. We could lose our job, the stock market could crash, we could be in some kind of disabling accident, we could get some kind of horrible disease, there could be a lawsuit or a fire or a tornado or an earthquake or a layoff or an economic collapse of our society. I was reading this guy uh, from Valley, uh, Valley Church, I think it is, in California, and, and he told this story about Germany. I did not know this, but this, this is fascinating. Uh, Germany had an economic meltdown in 1923. I, I didn't know that, right before the, for, uh, the, the World Wars. Interesting to me, I'm, I don't know how this played into that. But in 1911, you could buy a loaf of bread for less than a German mark, okay? And if you don't know what German mark is, it's their currency, so kind of picture a dollar, okay? So less than, less than a dollar in 1911, you could buy a, uh, a loaf of bread. In 1923, on January 10th, so first of the year, January 10th, 1923, you could buy a loaf of bread for 250 marks, okay? Now, listen to this. By July, okay, January 250, by July of the same year, a loaf of bread cost 3,465 marks, okay? Two months later, September, same year, 1923, a loaf of bread cost 1.5 million marks, okay? By November, two more months, okay? Same year, a loaf of bread in Germany cost 201 million marks. They had three paper mills printing money as fast as they could to keep up with inflation. They were printing bills that were 50 million mark bills. <laughs> you imagine that? You pull out a 50 million, you know? And the cashier says, yeah, you need three more of those to pay for your bread, dude, you know? <laughs> could that happen in America? And if it does, what happens? Doesn't matter how much you got. It's not worth anything. All right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so riches are un, uncertain. Now, listen to this, okay? 
not only is that the case, but, but wealth can't help you in so many areas. Let me tell you the, the areas that wealth can't help you. Wealth can't help you in the areas of life, death, marriage, parenting, and friendship. Money can't save you from depression, cancer, heart disease, divorce, broken relationships, being lied to, being a liar, being betrayed, car accidents, gluttony, addiction, pornography, adultery, theft, selfishness, lust, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousy, and manipulation. That's my short list, okay? Uh, there's probably, there's more, but but it can't do anything about those things, okay? It can't help you with the most important realities of your life, your obedience to Jesus Christ. In fact, can, it not only can't help you, but it could hurt you. Guys like Achan, Judas, Ananias, Sapphira, Simon, Gehazi, all got tripped up by money, okay? So, so the Bible says, don't set your hope on money. Rather, set your hope on God. Americans, set our hope on God, okay? That, that's the implication there. In verse 17, uh, don't be haughty nor set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Now, why should you set your money on, or your, your money, yeah, set your money on God too. Set your hope on God. Why should you do that? Well, because of who he is. Notice verse 15 and 16. These are great verses. Are you ready? Get ready to be excited, okay? These are, these are delicious, as Ed Evans might say. Are you ready? He says here in verse 15, talking about God, he who is the blessed and the only sovereign the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an approachable light, whom no one has ever seen or ever can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That is God right there. Now, what is he saying about God? Let me sum that up. God is more than you can imagine. You see, money is always less than you can imagine. Yeah, have you noticed that? I mean, it's good. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with it. We, we, I like it. We need to have it. It provides for us, okay? We'll talk about that in a second. But it's always less than you imagine. You know, let me give you an example. You ever get a tax return, and you look back, and you're like, woohoo! You know, you're holding it in your hand, kissing it, you know? You're like, man! And, and you got a list. You're like, okay, honey, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do one. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. You got 10 things you're going to do with that check. And you know what happens, don't you? You start doing that, and you get to one and a half, and you're like, it's out. How did that happen? You know, you know why? It, it doesn't, but it's always less than you think, okay? God is always more. I love that. Who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. You can't, you can't see them all. You can't, you can't fathom how big he is. You can't get your head around how glorious he is. You can't, you can't get a hold of how mighty God is. You just can't do it. He's always more than you think. And so set your hope on him. What does that mean? We gotta get practical here. What does that mean, set your hope on God? What does that look like? Let me, let me give you three things. I, I sat, I was sitting, I was thinking, okay, Lord, what would this look like, Jason, if you're, if you're rightly setting your hope on God? Here's three things that I came up with, okay? This is for me. Maybe it's not for you. This is what it looked like for me, okay? What it looked like for me is that the thing that takes away my stress is not the tangible money, whatever. It's, it's the going to the Lord, okay? Let me give you a scenario, okay? You got bills you can't pay. You got hospital bills maybe stacking up on your desk. You got mechanic bills. You got whatever, mortgage, okay? Can't pay them. What takes away your stress? Okay, is it, A, the only thing that takes away your stress is a check coming in that enables you to pay all that? Or can you, can you do this? Can you say, all right, family, let's gather around. Lord, we got bills we can't pay. God, we need you. And Lord, we know you're faithful. You've always been faithful to us. Lord, we don't know how you're gonna do it, but we pray that you'd help us. And Lord, we cast ourselves upon you. Lord, we'll do whatever you want us to do. God, we're, we're ready to be obedient. Uh, we just need you now. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Is your stress gone? It is if you've set your hope on the Lord. If you haven't, you, you know what happens, right? You pray, and then you go right back. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Did you do this? Did, did, were you, I think you'd spend more, you know, fighting anger, all, you know, right? What's your hope set in? What's it upon? Now, I'm not saying you're like, amen. Okay, let's go charge some more because God's going to take care of it. You know, well, that's, <laughs> that don't work. That's right, Lord. That don't work. That's, that's not acting in faith, okay? Let me give you another one. What does it mean to set your hope on, on the Lord? It means that as you look at your family, you know, your, your situation, your life, it's not, it's not what you want it to be. What, what makes things okay? Does everything have to get straightened out? A lot of times that's a lot of work. That's uh, a lot of time. That may be forever. Or are you able to come to the Lord and say, okay, God, it's not the way I want it, Lord, but God, I, I need you here. God, we, we just ask you to make us okay. You see, if you're okay after that, your hope's set on the Lord. What makes you a success? If, if you, the only way you're a success is if you got to be in the position you want, with what you need, dressed like what you need, driving like what you want. Or if you can be a success simply because you're following the Lord, that's a good sign you've set your hope on the Lord. Those are just practical things. In my life, this is, those are ways that help me understand him. Is my hope set on the Lord, okay? Notice how it describes our God. I love this. It says, um, set your hope on God. Who, this is verse 17, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Okay, I am so glad that verse is in the Bible. Because there are streams of Christianity that, you know what they say? They would say, you know, Christians aren't happy people. We're always people that just, we can't enjoy anything. And all we got to do is be somber. And, uh, you know, we, we got to be anti-joy because, you know, joy is bad. It's not. You, you know what that says? The Lord has given all things to us. Why? To richly, he's richly given us to, to enjoy. Enjoy. God, God wants me to have joy. God gave me, can I say this? See, I almost hesitate to say it. God gave me my house. Why? To enjoy. So, so that we could have, have more kids and have people over and, and, and have a small group in our home and have folks eat dinner with us and, and enjoy. Is that, isn't that okay? Yeah. And God, God gave me a little white car. Why? So I could, I could drive it around and visit you guys and, and, and go, go do stuff and, and see my kids. And I, I mean, possessions aren't bad. Are, are you seeing that? They're not bad. You know, there, there's a stream of Christianity that just feels bad all the time about anything you have. No, not at all. God has given all things that we might richly, that we might enjoy them. God's a God of joy. God, God is not anti-joy. God is the author of joy. That's a lie of the devil that, that makes you think that you got to go outside of God's will to find joy. You don't. You stay in God's will to find joy. Now, are there times where, where possessions steal that joy and where people, people ought to give them all away because they're a danger? Yeah. Man, there's this guy in Matthew 19. Man, the best thing for him is to get rid of his stuff. Matthew 19, there's this guy named the, I don't know what his name is, but he's a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus. He wants eternal life. Jesus tells him this. He says, if you would go, if you'd be perfect, go sow what you possess. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Follow me. Okay, you know what the guy does? He walks away from Jesus. 
Okay, that's a guy that needed to give away all of his possessions. You know why? Because they were a, they were a trap. They were keeping him from, from life. One of my favorite stories is of the wrestler, Yusuf Ismail, called the Terrible Turk. Go home and Google him. I've told you this story before, but it's just so good, I've got to tell it again and again. Okay, Terrible Turk, he's a great wrestler in America. He whips everybody in America. He's traveling back to Yugoslavia. He's crossing the ocean. Something happens with the ship. It begins to sink. They're, they're rescuing everybody. Somehow he gets tossed over in the water. 600 passengers. He's the only guy that drowns. The only one. Why? Terrible Turk didn't believe in banks, so he carried all of his money with him. He had a belt on with eight to 10,000 gold coins. You can read this on Wikipedia, by the way. Just get on there, Google it. Eight to 10,000 gold coins. It is hard to tread water, my friends, with eight to 10,000 gold coins around your waist. Listen, if your money is sucking your marriage down, if, it, if, you, if you're working so hard and you don't have time for your family, you don't have time for your kids, if, if trying to, trying to be whatever you're trying to be in, in wealth and riches, if that's getting in the way of you serving Jesus, you need to fix that. Give it away if that's what it takes. For real. You're expecting me to say, no, really don't do that. No, I'm saying really do that. Give it away. I mean, it really, it'd be better. It'd been better for that rich young ruler to give it away than what happened to him, okay? So there are times where wealth is the problem in your life. There are other times where God gives you wealth and you have, this is the last thing, an opportunity, okay? Opportunity, okay? So here, he's still talking to the rich in this present age. He says, look, guys, you got a great opportunity, Americans, and here's your opportunity, verse 19 and 20. Whoops, 18 and 19, sorry. They are to do good and to be rich in good works. Oh, what does it mean to be rich in good works? What does it mean to be rich in money? To be rich in money means you have a lot of it, right? To be rich in good works means you have a lot of them. Doesn't that make sense, right? So to be rich in good works. So, so you, know what, you know what the Bible is saying there? It says, you, you know, Americans, you, you got lots, you got disposable income. You know what you have? You have an opportunity to use your wealth to become rich in good works. You have an opportunity to use your wealth to, to, to do good things for the kingdom of God. Folks, money can be used for good. It's not bad. It can be used for good works. It can be a tool to glorify God, to spread the word of God into Indonesia and and China and Tibet and and all around the world. It can buy Bibles and Christian books and put missionaries places and and fly pastors to to, uh, do the work of ministry wherever God sends them. I mean, it can be used all kinds, build churches, um, schools, orphanages, hospitals, all of those things. Money can do. And notice what this says. I am really excited about this. Verse 19. Thus storing up treasure for themselves. For themselves is are pretty two cool words there, right? Sometimes we're afraid of those. There's a guy in this church who's gonna rib me later on this afternoon because he he, he really gets troubled every time I preach sermons like this. But I'm like, how how do I avoid that? It says for themselves. You see, here's what I believe. I believe what Paul's saying is there's a connection between what I do in this life to the one to come. And I I think Paul is saying that that whenever I invest my time and my energy and and my money in in the things of the kingdom, that there's a direct connection to the new heavens and the new earth. And it says that you might store up a good foundation for the future. Treasure, treasure. It, It says it right there in the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 6, treasure, 
for the life to come. Now, what does that mean? I think, I think where people get tripped up, they're like, it can't be, Pastor. You know, they're picturing, you know, some people in heaven, like, throwing up coins and bathing in money, you know. And they're like, that's not, he-. I don't know what treasure is, but you know what treasure represents? Value. So I think what he's saying is, as we invest our time, energy, money, everything, here in this present time, there's a connection to the future. Whatever that will be like, I don't know. But it will be valuable. Does that make sense? This, this, this life, what you do in this life, how you serve Jesus in this life, there's a connection to the next life that will bring you actual value. Whatever that is. I, here, I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it's a capacity, a capacity to enjoy Jesus Christ forever and ever. I think what you do in this life builds you a capacity to enjoy Christ in the next one. That's what I think personally. I can't prove that, but that's what I think. You know what, guys? We, we got to decide something. We got to decide what's truly living. What does it mean to truly live? Notice the last phrase. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. All right, let's get some opinions. What does it mean to truly live? Well, some people are going to say, what it means to truly live is to have a Lamborghini. You know, pull up at the stoplight, you know, you know, that's, that's life, okay? Some are going to say, well, what it, what it means to truly live is to have this and buy this and be this. Well, maybe. Paul in the Bible says that when you are rich in good works and you pour yourself out for the good of others and you invest in the life to come, that's truly life. That's what he says. So here's what I know. Before you can leave, you have to decide which one of those is true. You're saying, you ain't keeping me here. Oh, I know I can't keep you here, but I'm just saying this. I'm saying you got to pick. It's one or the other. And you're going to believe something walking out of this door, aren't you? I don't know which it's going to be. I I would ask you to act in faith and to say, you know, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust what he says. I think think what what, what will truly be life to me is, is for me to invest myself in the kingdom of God. I'm going to thank the Lord for what he's given. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to be grateful and and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to give of my time and ministry. I'm going to give of my money to the things of God. And I'm going to give of my talents to the ministry of the gospel. And I'm going to trust that that's going to bring life now. And it's going to bring blessing in the life to come. Exciting stuff. Let's pray. God, help us to act in faith, Lord. Uh, help us, Father, to grab onto uh, the truths of the gospel. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that You'd help us to be careful of, of loving money and of, of being prideful over it and of setting our hopes upon it. And God, help us to set our hope firmly upon you. And God, help us to use what, what we've been given. God, what you have graciously given for the good of the kingdom. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.